This message is from the Axis Church, a redeemed community of missionaries living for the fame of the real Jesus. For more information about Jesus or the Axis Vision in Nashville, go to theaxischurch.org. I remember as a, as a kid reading comics. Uh, I remember uh, reading Archie and Friends. Anybody ever read Archie? No one? One? Two? All right. All right. Archie and Friends. Uh, or the funny page of the newspaper. Maybe, maybe you had a favorite comic uh, growing up. I remember having fun reading those things. But then I remember coming across the Wall Street Journal and understanding the difference in those publications, right? Uh, the Wall Street Journal was overwhelming. It was confused, confusing. As I became an adult and as I began to mature in life, I haven't grown an appreciation personally for the Wall Street Journal. I admire people who love the Wall Street Journal, but I can appreciate it as I understand its place and its role in our society, right? Well, I think a lot of us look at the Bible as a child would look at the Wall Street Journal, and we feel guilty when we don't just love its pages. Perhaps it's because we don't understand the basis of what the book is and how it is given to us and what its nature is and its function for us in our life. And if we could understand that, maybe we would have a growing appreciation for it and spend more time in it. This is what I want us to spend our time on this morning together. You see, the Bible is itself the most popular and the most scrutinized book ever. It is at the heart and core of what it means to be Christian, is to cherish its teachings and to see it as a different book entirely set apart than any other form of literature that we have as people. There is more than 168,000 Bibles sold or given away every day in the United States alone. Historically, it's been said that the Bible is the most sold book ever, and it's regularly found on bestseller lists. Thankfully, our Bible has been translated into over 1,200 different languages. But there are thousands of other languages that have yet to have the Bible in their own native tongue. So in 2016, pray for this to happen. Support organizations like Wycliffe.org, Bible Translating Societies. Get to know, get involved, participate in it. Get to know how to better uh, get the word into other people's hands. We're so blessed to have a copy of the Bible. That should blow our minds that we have it in our own language. The Bible is written under the inspiration and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. He is the author of the Bible, though he used over 40 different individuals to actually pen the words. He is the one that we see as the author. Therefore, it's inspired. The different people that he used, they were shepherds, they were farmers, they were tent makers, they were doctors, physicians, fishermen, priests, philosophers, and kings. Yet despite these differences in background and despite these differences in their occupation and the span of time that it was written, the Bible is uniquely cohesive and there is a central fault. It is unified as a book. It was written over a 1,600-year span, from 1,500 B.C. to 100 A.D. And yet, to find contradictions, you have to take Scripture out of context. 
To see it as so cohesive is beautiful. It's unique to find such a book. There's many books written on many different religions, but what sets the Bible apart is that it is spoken of as the very word of God. It is the actual words of God. Those of us who believe the Bible believe that God inspired these different individuals throughout the years to write his words for mankind. The Bible actually says over 3,000 times, it says, thus saith the Lord, and then it actually claims to quote the creator, the God of all. Now, while the book itself, while the Bible itself is one book, it's made up of 66 other books or, or letters. The books of the Old Testament lead up to the birth of Christ. The books of the New Testament are from the birth of Christ onward. And those 66 separate books, they fall in together to form a, a, a central grand narrative a, a beautiful, great plan of the Bible, and it is creation, fall, redemption, recreation. That is the storyline of Scripture. Creation, fall, redemption, recreation, or, or restoration. All 66 books find themselves somewhere in that grand story, that grand narrative. All 66 books are about Jesus, not just the ones in the New Testament. According to Jesus in John chapter 5, verse 39, he said, you search the scriptures because in them you think you have life, and it is they that bear witness about me. You see, the Bible points to Jesus. It all points to Jesus in some way. Even following his resurrection, Jesus met with a couple of his disciples on the road to Emmaus. And they were discussing just how distraught they were over the fact that Jesus had to die and that he had to suffer. They were perplexed at the death of Christ. And Luke chapter 24 records this. Jesus looks at these two men and says, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses, all right, that's back in the Old Testament, right? The first five the Pentateuch of the Old Testament. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. He worked them through the Old Testament saying, that's a picture of me. That's speaking of me. That was me. This is speaking of me. You see, it's all about Jesus. Now, some people think the Bible is merely a book of rules telling you what you should do and what you shouldn't do, and its consequences, and its blessings. Well, the Bible has rules. The Bible has laws. The Bible tells you if you obey these things that it's going to go well for you. This is how life works its best. But the Bible isn't mainly about these rules. It's not mainly about you and what you should be doing. The Bible is mainly about God and what he has done through Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible is mainly about. Many others see the Bible as a, as a collection of, of heroes, of people you should imitate and admire. While the Bible has wonderful people in it, most people of the Bible aren't heroes at all. Some of these people in the Bible, they make big mistakes, a lot of times on purpose, intentionally rebelling against the God of the Bible. At times, they're very cruel and disobedient and selfish. You see, the Bible is more of an adventure story about a hero who comes from a faraway country back 
to find his lost treasure. The Bible's more like a love story where there's a brave prince who leaves his palace, his throne. He leaves everything to rescue the one that he loves. And it takes the whole Bible to tell this story. It starts in a garden and it ends in a city. And at the center of this story is a baby, Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. And my hope and my prayer for us as a church, as a whole, and individuals made up of the family and friends of the Axis is that we would take the Bible very seriously in 2016 and that we would see Jesus bigger, better, deeper, and brighter in understanding throughout 2016 because we're beginning to better appreciate and cherish Scripture. So why do we need to spend time regularly in the Bible this year? My challenge is that we would. I want to challenge you and encourage you to read the Bible regularly. But why? Well, first, because the Bible teaches us about life. It teaches us about death. It teaches us about God. It teaches us about God's love for us. It teaches us about his rescuing of his people. We know God through his word. We know Jesus through the word that we find here in scripture. The Bible is God's very word to us. It is his spoken word to mankind. And it is also extremely helpful and beneficial, just as Paul pointed out to his disciple, young Timothy. In 2 Timothy chapter three, he says, as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and from how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which you are able, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And then he says, all scripture is breathed out by God. It is God's word and it's profitable. It's helpful. It's beneficial. It's helpful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. And then Joshua 1.8 provides for us a very hopeful promise as we study scripture. It says, the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that's written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. So it's helpful. And in Romans 10.17 tells us that faith itself comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God, of Christ. Our faith is fostered and created and stoked as a fire, as it were, as we spend time reading the word and, and hearing the word. And I know many of us in this room are searching for truth. Many of us are needing faith. Many of us are battling unbelief and fighting to believe. I commend to you the scriptures. Look to the word of God regularly. Because studying the Bible is a means of growing your faith and fighting unbelief. As you search the scriptures, become a student of the word. Don't just pick and choose things that you want to believe. The Bible is not your pocket flashlight where you can control it or where you limit its scope or influence by your own preference or choosing. It's not for you to direct its truth here, but not over there, to receive this truth, but not that truth. 
The Bible isn't a salad bar of your personal preferences. This is not how to handle scripture. The Bible stands as a street light over us, illuminating our way, or even better, the bright sun that illuminates everything. And it stands as the authority that we must submit to and we must trust. If it says this, then we believe this. If it makes us uncomfortable, we don't try to change what it says. We change through the Spirit of God, alive in the Word, to conform to His ways. We don't try to alter what the Bible says to make us more popular or to make it a little bit easier to obey. You're changing Scripture. You're writing your own Bible. That's dangerous. History is littered with stories like that, and it never, never ends well. So the Bible teaches us of God. It teaches us of his love for us. It teaches us of life. It teaches us of death. It helps us grow in our faith and our belief, but it also helps us in our need for wisdom and guidance throughout life. Psalm 119, 105 says that uh, your word is a lamp to my feet and it's a light to my path. So it reveals to us the way that we should walk. It reveals to us the direction that we should go. Reiterating this point, Proverbs chapter six, verse 23 and 24 says, for the commandment is a lamp and the teaching a light. It's helpful. That's the point. And the reproofs of discipline are the way of life given to preserve you. In a recent study I came across last week, the most shared on, online, the most digitally shared passage of scripture in 2015 was Proverbs chapter three. It speaks to our need to trust in something more than our fickle desires, our subjective feelings, and our own limited knowledge. It's the passage of chapter three, verses five through eight, where it says, trust in the Lord. You don't, you don't drift to trusting in the Lord. You drift to trusting in yourself. You drift to trusting in your own uh, logic, your own reasoning, and your own strength, and your own ability. Fight that drift. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And don't lean, don't, don't drift towards your own understanding. That's the idea of leaning right there, is you're drifting there. Don't drift to your own understanding. Rather, in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Be not wise in your own eyes, because we drift to that place of being wise in our own eyes, thinking that we know the best way. Be not wise in your own eyes, but fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. And then Psalm chapter one, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked or the word of the wicked, the advice of the wicked, the teaching of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight, what he cherishes is the law of the Lord the word of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Blessed is that person. So through the Bible, we learn of life and death. We learn of God and his love for us, his rescuing of us through his son. We're able to grow our faith and, and fight unbelief. We're able to ex receive help through having the wisdom of God and his guidance and his help. But also the Bible helps us in a way that protects us from sin, and it helps us sin less. Like seriously, studying scripture regularly helps you sin less. This is great hope for us. I found this in Psalm 119. 
How can a man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander or drift from your commandments. I have stored up, I've treasured, I've held fast to your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. So when there's meditating on scripture, when there's frequent time spent in scripture, when there's memorization of scripture, there's a promise that there'll be less sin controlling us and our hearts. That gives me great hope. See, the Bible frees us more and more from the strongholds of sin that continually trap us. The Bible aids us in and through our unbelief, and it also convicts us more of our sin, leading us to repentance. Hebrews 4.12 says, for the word of God is living, it's active. It's not just a book on a shelf like other books on a shelf. It is different. It is alive. It is active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It's piercing the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The Bible cuts through superficiality, and it gets deep to the matters of the heart. Time in the Bible will reveal these sinful areas of our life and free us to live life the way that we should, the way that honors God. Practically and personally, for me, when I'm consistent in spending time in the Word of God, I'm much more likely to be tender than tough. In other words, I'm much more likely to be gracious to others, whether family or my waiter, than I am law-abiding and law-giving and holding people to consequences and not being gracious. I'm much more likely to be patient than I am short or rude. When I spend consistent time in the scriptures, I'm much more likely to, to listen more carefully and offer more sound advice rather than just trying to get to the bottom line, speak my mind, and move on. The more that I'm in the word, the more I understand what kind of friend my friends and family need me to be. I love my wife Jill better when I'm spending time in the word. I'm more apt to be less selfish and me-centered with her, and I'm much more likely to serve her with more grace and tenderness. I'm much more likely to be patient and loving with my children rather than growing frustrated and sharp when I spend more time in scripture regularly, I'm, I'm okay when things aren't my way as I realize that there's a bigger picture involved rather than just my small world where everything revolves around me. When I spend regular time in scripture, I'm much more likely to pray throughout the day asking God's help and direction, wisdom, and guidance. I'm much more likely to be thankful and grateful. I'm much more likely to be humble, realizing that it's not about me, that there's something a whole lot larger at stake. I have fresh scripture references to pull from as I try to fight sin and speak the truth of who God is, the truth of who I am because of Jesus. When I spend more time in scripture, I can more easily and quickly discern between what is true and false, what is helpful and harmful, what is good and bad, or, or what's good and better. 
The more time that I spend in scripture regularly, I'm much more likely to rest in my identity in Christ and less for what my work makes me or what others think of me because I'm resting in the truth that I'm absorbing in my regular time in scripture. I'm much more likely to cherish God's promises when life hurts. Instead of just trying to do better or get back, I'm much more likely to long for heaven and long for Jesus' return and seek his guidance and what he might be doing through my suffering instead of just getting frustrated with it all. I'm much more likely to be encouraged by how God loves me as I learn this in scripture, where that actually matters. Where the phrase, I know God loves me, but still becomes less and less a part of my regular vocabulary because knowing that God loves me sets everything else in right perspective. But don't read the Bible because you're showing off or someone's making you. Don't, don't read the Bible because you're trying to feel more righteous. Where there perhaps can be some good motive in, in there somewhere to get you on the right track to create habits, don't let those be the only reasons that you read Scripture. Read the Bible because it excites you. Read the Bible because you want to know God. Read the Bible because it's living, it's active, it's powerful, and it changes things. Read the Bible because it can speak truth into your life right now. Read the Bible regularly so that your life can look more like Jesus. Read the Bible regularly because you don't have a desire for it. To create a desire for it. Fight to read the Bible because the Bible says to read the Bible and devote yourself to its teaching, even if you don't feel like it. Many of us, we drink drinks today that we did not love the first time we had them, right? Many of us eat foods today that we didn't just love the first time we ate them. Many of us are married to people that we didn't love the first time we saw them, right? Yet, you spend time learning of those drinks and foods, learning of that individual that you now call your spouse. You see, the time and the effort spent is what helped foster a greater appreciation for those things and for that person. Spending time in the Bible is much the same. The more that you read it by faith, when you don't want to or when you don't feel like it, the more your soul will begin to take delight in it, the more you will begin to cherish it, the more that you will honor it, the more that you will treasure it and find it as essential to your day, essential to your life, as a value in your home. Daily practice and reading plans, they can help create uh, and learn a discipline to do something that you don't just naturally want to do but it helps you do things that you should want to do. Faithfulness in reading the Bible doesn't come from you simply coming to the place where you just desire it each day. It's, all, it's like an appetite where you just wake up hungry and you just gotta eat. Odds are you're not gonna have that every day with the Bible where you just wake up and think, oh man, I'm about to die, I gotta get some of this in. That's grace when it's that way. It's radical grace when it's that way. That's wonderful. Man, that is beautiful when it's that way. And it's that way sometimes, but, but not all the time. Faithfulness in reading the Bible comes from when you come into the place where you read it regardless of if you feel like it because you believe that you need it 
whether you like it in the moment or not. It's like taking nasty medicine. You know it's good for you. You don't like it, but you know it's what you're supposed to do. It's like committing to regular Bible reading is a lot like committing to working out or committing to a diet or committing to getting out of debt. It's not always fun. It takes discipline, but it's worth it. And the more that you do it, the more exciting it gets. So I challenge you this year, Axis family and friends, to make reading the Bible regularly, whether you read it through the year, in a year or not, that would be wonderful. I challenge you to do that. But regardless, that you just build into your day daily Bible reading, regular Bible intake. Schedule it on your calendar. You know, I, I heard it said over the last couple of weeks of uh, if you want to make sure you have creamer in your coffee, and I know coffee snobs in the room, don't be upset that people put creamer in their coffee, okay? Not everyone is as sophisticated with you and your taste, all right? But if you want cream in your coffee and you don't seem to be able to have room after you pour your coffee, put the creamer in first. This is how Bible reading works. If you really want it to get in, make it a priority first. Make it a priority that just doesn't budge. It doesn't shake. Other things shake, but this remains a commitment that you hold fast to for greater health. And read at a pace that's sustainable. If you've got a friend that's reading four to six chapters a day and, and you can handle a chapter a day, do that. If you can handle a psalm a day that's just four verses, do that. Meditate on that. It's not about how much you read or how long you read. I would say that it is about how regularly you're able to read, referred to as our daily bread. Social media teaches us a lot. <laughs> but social media, among what it teaches us, it teaches us that we read daily. We read a lot every day. We read books and blogs, Facebook rants. We read Instagram captions. And if you're like me, you have to study hard to read hashtags sometimes, like wondering where the S goes, you know? <laughs> we have no problem reading every day. We read a lot every day. Our problem comes from we don't see the Bible as helpful or useful or fun. If you don't have a desire to read the Bible regularly, don't just sit and wait for it to happen. In 37 years of being around the Bible, that, that hasn't been the case for me. Rather than waiting around for the desire to hit you, pray for the desire to read. Pray for the steadfast strength needed to persevere in making the Bible a priority of your day. And then put in the necessary work to see the Bible become increasingly relevant and valuable and helpful to you. Read the Bible in 2016. Read it regularly. So much will make sense when you're reading the Bible regularly. This is my personal experience. So much of life will have its proper place. Proper uh, understanding of what is significant, what is weighty, what is important, begins to take shape in life the more that you spend time in Scripture. Ask Jesus to reveal wondrous things to you as you read the Bible. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you read and understand, interpret, and apply the truth of Scripture. Ask God to create a burning in your heart, a longing for his word, a dissatisfaction when you don't find time to get in the word. 
Ask God to mold your heart to become more like his and make your life more like his son's. Ask God for this. Become students. Become learners. It's what it means to be Christian. It's to be a student of this book. Spend time in the Bible. Sit and read. I was telling Jill this morning or yesterday, like I want to be at the place in my spiritual maturity where instead of grabbing a magazine or flipping through social media, that I just get the Bible and just casually read. Just, just pick it up and just start reading. Not because I don't have a, like yeah, I have time each day to read, but just what if we just casually became students and we're just entertained by scripture? Asking God to help us be entertained by scripture to be captivated by its pages. Not just looking at it as necessary medicine, but looking at it as a feast, something we get to enjoy. Gather with others to read it together aloud, just to hear it read aloud by other people. Discuss it. Speak of how it applies to your life. Essentially, don't just have a copy of the Wall Street Journal in your home just to feel smarter. Don't just have a copy of the Wall Street Journal and expect to like it one day. Work to mature, grow, dig, study, read, learn, spend time here. And then I believe that you're also going to grow in your appreciation of the Bible and you will see practically how it'll benefit you and it's going to benefit others around you by how it changes you every day. Please, Spend time in the word. Your friends and family need you to. Your church needs you to. The city that you're a missionary to here needs you to spend regular time in the scriptures. You know, as I said earlier, the Bible is, is one big story. It's all about Jesus and his rescuing of us. You see, Jesus lived perfectly as our representative his life, his perfect life by faith cancels out our sinful life. Jesus died as a substitute in our place for us. He died the death that our sinful lives deserve as he was a substitute for us, bearing the wrath of God that was due us in our sin. He took it upon himself. Jesus beat death, granting us a sure hope of living forever with him in paradise, free of sin, suffering, and tears, packed with only joy and happiness. And as a way of remembering his work for us, Jesus gave us the Lord's table. He gave us communion. And so this morning, for those of us who are believers, we're going to once again share in this meal together. We have bread that represents the body that Jesus offered up for us. We have wine and juice that represents the blood of Jesus that he gave for us to be washed as white as snow and forgiven. So Christian, this meal is for you. It's an opportunity that you have that Jesus says is an opportunity that you have to remember what he's done for you. And I would say, and lead you to worship. That would lead you to cherish him. So I want to pray for our meal together. I want to pray for the communion together. We're about to partake. The servers will be here to help us. But before you take, I challenge you to sit and ponder. I want you to think, why celebrate Jesus? Why worship Jesus personally? What has he done for you that makes him worthy for you to cherish him? 
Remember his work for you. Remember what he's accomplished for you. And then let that lead to worship and cherishing him, remembering his work through taking of this Lord's table together. Let me pray as we work into communion. God, thank you for your help this morning. Lord, thank you for these truths. Lord, thank you that you did, in fact, work for us and reconcile us to your Father and grant us eternal life with you in paradise. Thank you for this hope, this sure hope that we have. Lord, I ask that you work during this time of communion. Lord, lead us to remember, lead us to cherish you. Help us fight uh, the taking you for granted and just walking through the motions this morning and just grabbing a piece of bread and dipping it in some liquid and going back to our seats, but that we will be captivated by the fact that you came to live and die and beat death for us, and you came to give us hope for today and hope for forever. Lord, help these truths jar our minds and hearts to feel that this morning, not just know it in our mind, but where we feel it in our heart. And let that lead to cherishing you and worshiping you this morning. God, be with this time, be with the remainder of our gathering. In Christ's name, amen.